0: This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week. Florida is a risky place to live and work. There are the boom and bust economic cycles that tend to be exaggerated here, higher highs and lower lows. There are the hurricanes, of course, and more recently the increasing acknowledgement of the effects of climate change. There's a price on all of these risks, especially the risk of bad weather, and some of that price is decided over 4,000 miles away in a building near the Tower of London. That is the home of Lloyd's of London. The company may be known for insuring some unusual things like Bruce Springsteen's voice, soccer player David Beckham's legs, and actor America Ferrer's smile, but Lloyd's of London does not insure any of it. Lloyd's is the place where the risk gets a price. You see, Lloyd's is not an insurance company. It is an insurance marketplace, and a huge one at that. Five percent of all the commercial insurance and insurance for insurance in the world was handled through Lloyd's in 2018. It has a quarter of the market for higher risk insurance and reinsurance for storms and floods here in Florida. And the nature of that risk is changing. When I first started in insurance, it was very tangible. This is John Neal. He's the CEO of Lloyd's of London. We spoke with him earlier this month in Miami. Will you insure my
1: factory? Will you insure the people that work in that factory? Today people are saying, can you insure my reputation? Can you insure my data? It's changed. Risk is changing.
0: And a big change is the increasing recognition of the risk of climate change. We spoke with the boss at Lloyd's of London about how the insurance industry is responding to the changing nature of risk, especially that brought on by climate change. And all of this certainly here in Florida. We also spoke with him about ensuring the sharing economy and Lloyd's own Me Too sexual harassment troubles. Later on today's program, another story of money and the price of life in South Florida. Debbie Bailey came here from Jamaica for college. She calls herself a, quote, numbers girl.
2: I studied accounting because I think that's how my brain works. I am a numbers person. Talk to me in numbers. I'm good. But don't tell me to write an essay.
0: I can't do that. After working for someone else for many years, she struck out on her own two years ago. We'll hear her story of money and the price of life coming up. If you'd like to share your financial statement, please email us, sunshine Economy at wlrnnews.org. That's sunshine Economy at wlrnnews.org. Her story coming up. John Neal leads one of the most important players in the global insurance industry, Lloyd's of London. It began in a London coffeehouse in the late 1600s as a place where shipowners and crews could find out the latest news from the high seas. And it grew into a marketplace where they could insure their cargo and vessels. Today, there's a blue plaque on the street marking the historic location of the coffeehouse in London. Today, Lloyd's is responsible for one out of every $20 of commercial property insurance premiums worldwide. We spoke with the CEO of Lloyd's of London, John Neal, earlier this month in Miami. What, in your estimation, are the most pressing climate change risks? In other words, those that are happening actually in real time or within a very short window when it comes to the insurance market?
1: Uh, The real time risks are the ones that you you see in Florida. It's storm and hurricane. So, um, you know, the impact of any ingress of water is just devastating. So, you know, I think, um, you, you know, we, we do look at the, the threat of um, rising temperature, rising sea, and we, we know that has an impact on landmass. But um, short, short term, it's, it's storm.
0: Are rising seas insurable
1: against? So what insurance really does is it tries to put a financial consequence to risk. So you, you wouldn't insure specifically against the rising sea, but you might insure an asset against a form of loss, which could be caused by water of, of rising sea. So yes, you can insure, but it would be the asset that you insure against some form of physical loss or the consequence of a loss. I, I can't conduct my business because I'm unable to access my premises.
0: Business interruption insurance, Correct. certainly. But, but regarding the property itself that's on the coastline that may be experiencing over the next couple of decades higher seas, is that a risk that some investor is willing to underwrite with capital?
1: I think there's always a price. There's always a price. I mean, the price might be hard to bear. So, uh, you know, if you've got waterfront property, um, you know, then then it could be more challenging. I think you can buy insurance, but it might be that you have to run some of that risk yourself and the price is going to be higher.
0: Insurance is about assessing risk and pricing risk, as you just alluded to. Mm. Who is taking on that risk on the other side of these kinds of properties and the other kind of vulnerabilities that we have here in South Florida?
1: So I can talk specifically for the Lloyd's Marketplace and, you know, we've, we've certainly not walked away from Florida. Um, you, know, you know, at the end of the day, it's the time when we stand up. People do actually understand what we do for a living when the claim occurs and in the quality of the service that we provide to them and getting them back on their feet as quickly as they can. So actually, it's, it's an opportunity because we're proving the value of the product. So, you know, for us, we've not um, consciously reduced our exposure to... You know, particularly East Coast, Northeast, and Southeast in the U.S. to uh, weather-related
0: loss. So I guess where I'm asking is your source of capital as well. Yeah. Uh, if we follow those dollars back, what what's the profile of those folks who are willing to take that insurability risk here in Florida?
1: So it goes right the way back, really. You've got sort of professional insurance companies that you would recognize that operate at, at Lloyd's. So you've got people like AIG, Chubb. They would take catastrophe risk at Lloyd's. You've got... Um, you've also got pension funds. So, you know, some of the biggest pension funds in the world have put some of their money be- behind Lloyd Syndicates. Um, some of the specialist Bermudans who look at very different types of structures for catastrophe insurance are there as well. So there's all different types of capital that's prepared to put their money behind the- behind our industry.
0: How sensitive is the insurance marketplace to resiliency efforts that are being undertaken by individuals, companies, and local governments particularly
1: really really important um we we would say that um we can have greater influence ultimately with corporations lesser with the individuals because it's harder for them to make the changes they want although you often see that post-loss so post-loss lessons are learned and you tend to see different types of protection put in place um government's hard you know uh, most governments buy very little if any insurance so it's a you know, governments are almost the hardest to deal with in this situation.
0: But when thinking about the resiliency investments, particularly here in South Florida, mm-hmm. for instance, it's local governments that have been really driving that, to some degree um, uh, driven by local citizens that have voted for Bond borrowing, for instance, to to put in resiliency programs. So you've got the property owners all around that, you know, can protect their own property, but they may not be able to get to the property because the infrastructure around it, as you know, it gets flooded because of a, a, a bad storm, for instance, or a storm surge during a storm. How do you think about that? The resiliency efforts really are concentrated at the municipal level, at yeah. the local government yeah. level.
1: So, so my answer to that would be to encourage the citizens to persuade their governments, whether they're local or state or federal, to talk to us. Because we have no hesitation in providing insurance cover for infrastructure. There's a lot of chat in the world about under-insurance. And everyone immediately thinks of think in Miami, they think of the emerging markets in Latin America. It's often the developed countries that are the most underinsured. And it's because governments choose to insure so little. And, um, you you know, we have the balance sheet. We have the balance sheets to take that risk, which I think ultimately is to the benefit of everyone in society.
0: So in this case, it would be local governments taking out an insurance policy on a sewer system, on stormwater, on streets.
1: They absolutely could. Or it could be local governments taking out an insurance policy on the consequence of loss. So if they felt that there was... Loss some, of tax revenue, yeah, it for instance. Of, could be loss of tax revenue, or it could be a commitment that they make to businesses or citizens within their area to help them get, get back on their feet.
0: What role do you think the insurance industry plays in driving uh, uh, efforts toward resiliency and mitigation to okay. the risk of climate change?
1: I, I don't think we can sort of drive the effort. It's, a, it's an interesting debate around climate as to what role we actually should play. Um, you know, we, we get the challenge at one end of the spectrum of, one, of of being asked to disassociate ourselves with industries that are damaging to the climate. And I don't think that's the right answer either.
0: In other words, not to ensure carbon emitting industries, for instance.
1: Correct. And, and you know, you could say, well, that would be easy. But um, it's not easy because there are parts of the world that are heavily dependent upon the carbon industry. And are we right to desert them? At the same time, I think we should try and partner industry as it looks to run from a fossil fuel oriented world to a carbon neutral world and work out what that looks like and how we can help them on that journey. So our role is to say, look, I I think we're here to say there is third party capital, private capital that will help support the public balance sheet. So I think that's what we should be doing, Um, be involved in the debate, but it's not our job to drive it.
0: I suppose what I'm asking, right, is it gets down to economic incentives, as you know, price can drive certain behaviors yeah, yeah, yeah. one way or the other, as it relates to uh, to carbon, as yep. you're talking about here, and also asking about efforts toward resiliency, yep. toward buffering up, uh, you know, yep. properties in local communities.
1: Yep. I, I think it does work on that basis. And, um, but, you know, and I, I think if you take the extreme view, the carbon debate and, yeah, you know, there's, there's not a lot of renewable energy opportunities to ensure. So I think you're right. There is a, a slightly capitalist view there. But I, I think we are trying to get the balance right behind the economics and a social responsibility. So so, so our view is, look, we're, we're part of the debate and want to be part of the debate. We, we don't definitively know what the answer is, but we're happy to be involved in the discussion.
0: Have you had a moment to think about uh, the the... the- how much climate risk is contributing to premium trends? In other words, uh, the, the, the better understanding that we're having around climate risk, the, uh, you know, in some corners, the acceptance of climate risk and how that is driving or contributing to higher cost of insurance?
1: So if you, if you do the sort of the math, it's about a third of the world's premium is property. So it's the property asset. So, you know, and the significant exposure there is really weather related. So, you know, property prices are up 10 percent per annum on a compound basis over a two or three year period. That is largely weather. That is largely weather that's driving that price.
0: Speaking with Lloyd's of London CEO John Neal earlier this month in Miami. Still to come, our conversation continues with property values going up and the cost of insurance going up, the escalating risk of a big hit.
1: We model and anticipate um, hurricane losses that could cost north of 200 billion dollars and our models tell us that can happen. Big direct hit is Miami.
0: We're back on the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening this week. You can follow WLRN on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter. Today is our interview with John Neal, the CEO of Lloyd's of London. Now, Lloyd's is not an insurance company, but rather a marketplace where insurance companies buy and sell risk from around the world, including the risk of storms and floods here in South Florida. Later on in the program, you'll hear a new financial statement. From Debbie Bailey, her story of money and the price of life in South Florida.
2: If you ask me sometime, I'll find cute things at the thrift store. I shop when there's a sale, unless I'm going somewhere where I have to go buy something. I love Macy's, but I never buy Macy's full. (laughs) I never buy full price. I don't. So I have a savings account, and it's for deals.
0: She worked for companies in accounting before starting her own small accounting and consulting firm a couple of years ago. Her story is coming up. If you'd like to share your story and your financial statement of money and the price of life in South Florida, please email us, sunshine Economy at wlrnnews.org. Our email address is sunshine economy at wlrnnews.org. The Lloyds of London insurance marketplace may be thousands of miles away from Florida. But what happens here influences the price of insurance there, which then finds its way into insurance premiums paid by homeowners and others back here. Back with our interview with Lloyds of London CEO John Neal. We spoke with him earlier this month in Miami.
1: You know, if I look at the last five years in Florida, we've paid out around about $4 billion in claims for, you know, property and weather-related events. Um, you, you know, we, we've also been around providing insurance down here for over 100
0: years. Any idea how much in premiums you've collected over those four years, for instance? So
1: I would say if you look at the premiums, um, we're in deficit. So, so
0: you've lost money on Florida. So the,
1: impact, the impact over the you know, most recent five-year period would be we're in deficit. If you take a look over 10 years, it's positive. If you take a look over 25 years, it's positive. So we kind of know that if if you're in Florida, then you're in Hurricane Alley and occasionally you're going to get hit. Um, Our our job is really to try and get the price right over that period of time. So we're not walking away.
0: So that's what I want to ask about that risk appetite for a vulnerable place like Florida. You've got the appetite. Lloyd's has the appetite. It has the marketplace. But it's got to be fed by the right price to take on the risk.
1: It's definitely got to be fed by the right price. And um, it's quite interesting, you know, that period um, from Superstorm Sandy in New York in 2012 um, through to Harvey and Maria in 2017, that was the quietest period for hurricane loss in the U.S. for 180 years. So I think in a way, insurers got lulled into a sort of a false world of thinking, maybe it's changed. It, it hadn't changed. If you, if you stand back and look at macro statistics. And so you think it. the
0: prices that, that Florida, for instance, was experiencing in those years may have been artificially Surprised. low?
1: I, I think prices dropped in that period of time, prices dropped by between 35 and 40%. And um, at, at the end of the day, you, you know, Insurance in Florida is, is really about the reality that, that that cat event is going to happen every four or five years. So that, that price needs to be spread over that period of time. So I think what you're seeing, painful though it is for the customer, is you're seeing a rebasing of the price that, that takes account of that risk.
0: How do other global natural disasters... Uh, affect the pricing and the appetite for risk here in Florida? For instance, the wildfires in in Australia, which you're familiar with, as you worked in Australia.
1: Yeah, The answer is they do. So, you know, the the adage that the world is a smaller place is a simple reality. So we call them hurricanes here. They call them cyclones in Australia. They call them typhoons um, in um, Japan. They're all the same. So at the end of the day, insurers spread risk as well. So insurers buy insurance. Um, and the people that we would buy insurance off would look at the global risk. So, you know, the reality is that there is a greater frequency of that type of loss and therefore that has an impact on pricing. So, so I, th- I think world pricing is changing at the moment. It's not just the US, it's going up. And it's going up as well. It's going up. So, um, you know, insurance is at a particular point. From about Q3 2017 I, through now, and I think carrying on, you've seen prices rise, both property and liability prices, actually. But it's a, it's a global phenomenon. It's not, not limited to Florida or the U.S.
0: You've been in the insurance market for a good long time, John, as has Lloyd's. Lloyd's in 2005, Katrina, Rita and Wilma, busy storm season, yeah. about three billion pounds in loss uh, because of that. Um, but yet you are still here. You're still in Florida. And um, Tell us the experiences that the industry learned from that season, that it is applying here now.
1: Yeah, it's so I was around in 2000. Well, if you remember, 2004 was a yeah, tricky year, years. just prior to 2005. Yeah, it was the year of Charlie, for instance, Indeed. and some others. Indeed. So, uh, and before that, Andrew. So, I'll
0: um, ask about Andrew in a moment, so,
1: John. Well, um, so I, th- I think we... Um, We have learned the lessons, um, and it's as much about understanding risk and the exposure that's created when a storm comes through. So, you know, the thing we learned from Katrina was storm surge. So, up to that point, we knew if a hurricane came through, there would be damage to property. We hadn't really understood storm surge and the consequential loss there. So, that's what we learned, and we learned in terms of being different. So, when um, particularly Irma and Maria come through, you know, we understand storm surge. you know, we see almost every time there is a, t- a loss, we see a different type of exposure that we didn't imagine before. And then what we do is go into very detailed analysis of the loss, which sort of models an anticipated loss next time it occurs. So we're, we're always learning.
0: It's often said the models are capturing the most recent disaster, um, but the next one's going to be somehow a little bit different. What are the models missing? What do we know that they're missing?
1: we have this ridiculous saying, what are the unknown unknowns look like? And um, crazy though it sounds, we have an unknown, unknown factor in the model, because we kind of know that there's something we've not seen before that's likely to happen. So we look at past experiences and say, what happened that we didn't foresee and adjust the model accordingly. So the model tells us what we know, and then we adjust it for an unknown, unknown, unknown factor. It's a It sounds a bit simple, but that's the best way we can think of dealing with it.
0: Very Rumsfeldian. The uh, former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld uh, would say that, uh, the unknown unknowns. One of those knowns that came starkly uh, into view was in 1992 Hurricane Andrew, of course, here in South Florida. At the time, $15 billion in insured losses totally for the industry. It was the most expensive natural disaster at the time. Uh, Lloyd's loss was estimated at about $1 billion U.S. Mm -hmm. Uh, George Lloyd Roberts, who was the chairman of Lloyd's Non-Marine Association back in 1992, told the Washington Post this. um, And I'd like to kind of Mm. how you hear this. He said, quote, the general feeling among practitioners is that we have suffered a miracle. I think
1: what he was saying was that, you know, Lloyd's underwriters remembered Hurricane Betsy from 65. and, And we hadn't really seen a hurricane as devastating as that until Andrew. So uh, I think it was a real wake-up call. And I remember an old boss of mine at Lloyd's had um, a picture of Hurricane Andrew, the storm, actually on his wall. He was a reinsurance underwriter because it, it, it shook the market so hard to see a loss of that magnitude. Um, I think now, you know, we model and anticipate um, hurricane losses that could cost north of $200 billion. And our models tell us that can happen.
0: $200 billion loss in a single storm. Uh, are those models for a direct hit uh, inland uh, or is something that scrapes up the eastern coast, for instance, or scrapes around the Gulf Coast? So it
1: varies. I mean, the big direct hit is Miami. So, you know, a direct hit on the city we're in is a, is a, a $200 billion loss, comfortably a $200 billion loss. It could be bigger. So, you know, and that's the hard thing for us to get our heads around is that, you you know, if you recalculated Katrina in 2005 in today's money, it's probably 60 to 70 billion. Um, So we're talking about... Those are four
0: Katrinas is what you're talking about, essentially.
1: But but I think if you think of Miami versus New Orleans, you could imagine that loss, really, couldn't you? If you rebased Katrina and you thought, actually, this was a direct hit on Miami, you you could see a $200 billion loss. So if it occurred, it would be, using those words, it would be horrific. But um, it can happen.
0: That's Lloyds of London CEO John Neal speaking with us earlier this month in Miami. Still to come, more of our conversation, including the rising cost and changing tides of risk protection.
1: We try and look at the patterns we would see. We try and look at the scientific evidence around the changing climate and try and plot what we think that will do to weather next year and in two years' time and three years' time. So our immediate horizon thinking is around weather more than climate.
0: Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting Public Radio. We're about halfway through the quiet season, the time between November 30th and June 1st. Of course, the six months between June and November, that's hurricane season in the Atlantic Ocean. And the last few seasons have been reminders about the threats posed to Florida. Hurricane Matthew skirted the East Coast. Irma barreled right into the Lower Keys. Michael devastated parts of the Panhandle. And Dorian came less than 100 miles offshore of Palm Beach County before veering to the north. Each of these were Category 5 storms, causing billions of dollars of damage in Florida and billions more elsewhere. The company headed by John O'Neill is responsible for finding insurance, taking on a lot of that risk. He's the CEO at Lloyd's of London. Lloyd's is not an insurance company, but a global insurance marketplace. We'll have more of our interview with Neil coming up in a moment. Later on in this program, Debbie Bailey describes herself as a numbers girl. She's an accountant who started her own small business two years ago. She's used to working with spreadsheets and loves making lists.
2: I'm a tickler for lists. I do lists, I do journaling, I do gratitude journals and you know stuff like that. So I generally just take things out and, you know, have a whole list of the things that I would want. Because right now on my list, Big Time is a trampoline and a remarkable. You know the remarkable? It's a notebook, that um, electronic
0: notebook. She also has travel and an item that has appeared on her wish list for years, swimming lessons. We'll talk to her and hear her story of money and the price of life in South Florida coming up later on in this program. You can share your story by emailing us sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Sunshine Economy at wlrnnews.org Lloyds of London is a big player in the Florida insurance market even if its name doesn't appear on a homeowner's policy here In Florida, it mostly insures insurance companies and that cost helps determine how much Florida homeowners have to pay to cover their property. John Neal is the CEO at Lloyd's of London and we spoke with him earlier this month in Miami. Weather or potentially climate
1: is significantly what we insure against. So, you know, our design is to really try and understand that risk better so we can offer better protection. So we're not disturbed by catastrophic risk, and we've seen an awful lot of it in the last three, four, five years. Is just really understanding the type of risk and making sure the product and actually the price for that product
0: is set at the right touch point. Speaking of price, uh, research has shown that commercial property casualty insurance in the United States uh, has reversed years and years and years of slow drops year over year. Over the past couple of years, you've seen some increases here in the United States, upwards of 8% on an average in uh, in the last year. What's driving that? So
1: price actually fell for five years. So between 2014 and 2017, the prices fell and fell and fell and fell. Um, And and really got beneath that point where it was economic for the capital to accept that risk. And of course, that was evidenced somewhat brutally in 2017 when we saw Harvey, Irma and Maria, three very serious hurricanes in quick succession, followed by Michael and Florence in 2018, followed by actually losses in Japan that people would be less aware of here. So they call them typhoons, they're hurricanes, they're exactly the same. So they've had three typhoons uh, in Japan in the past 12 months. So, you know, that has meant a step change in price. So prices have been going up for two years, and I think we will go up for another year or two. Um, and, you know, there's an inevitable cycle of price. And I'm sure as profitability returns, we'll see price come off again.
0: So if you see, right, as prices go up, more companies are willing to take risks to chase those Correct. margins.
1: Correct. That's exactly right. It's, you know, there is an obvious sort of supply and demand elasticity here people ask me, you know, is climate change real? I mean, the evidence is irrefutable. And, and we see it, you know, we see it with both the frequency of weather related loss, and the impact and cost of those losses.
0: Who is asking you whether or not climate change is real or not? So,
1: so I think there's just a general sense, you know, and, and it's very personal to me. I mean, I lived in Australia, before I moved back to London and um, I remember getting off the plane in 2011 in Australia and climate was the number one item on the government's agenda And, and if you live in Australia the weather events are almost biblical you would understand why and look at Australia this year one minute they've got they call them bushfires, we call them wildfires, and the next minute they've got floods all within two weeks of each other. So I, I think there's been a, a, a real growing change over the last decade of everyone from government to business to the individual really wanting to understand the implications of climate. Um, and as insurers, we're super happy to be in the debate. You know, we've got a role to play, we've got a role to accept risk, we've got a role to protect the household, to protect the corporation, to protect government, so uh, we think
0: we can help. How do you understand from an insurability standpoint, insuring weather versus insuring climate?
1: So our advantage as an insurer is we reset the price every 12 months. And so that's insuring weather. That's really insuring weather. So, so we try and look at the patterns we would see. We try and look at the scientific evidence around the changing climate and try and plot what we think that will do to weather next year and in two years' time and three years' time. So our immediate horizon thinking is around weather more than climate. But we would turn around and say as an industry, we've got a lot of weather data, and that weather data ought to be helpful in informing the climate conversation.
0: How is climate change currently understood by the global insurance and reinsurance markets? So
1: so I I think as insurers, we've got a very good understanding of weather and climate. Um, and we're not intimidated by the change you know we see ourselves as sticking our hands up and taking a responsibility to provide insurance Um, the difficulty is persuading people sometimes that there is a value proposition because in the eyes of the customer if they don't see the loss happening next year then they might not buy the cover and you know the, the example I always give and this isn't climate Um, I'm talking earthquake you know you think of the state of California we would all think of the San Andreas fault only 13 percent of people in the state of California buy earthquake insurance and yet you and I would think isn't that a risk they should insure? and it's because people don't see the risk happening tomorrow and and that's what we've got to do is we've got to get people to better understand what the value proposition of insuring against weather related and potentially future climate events is over the long term.
0: So how do you strike that balance, though, of the weather insurability, which is the marketplace, the 12 months out, and looking at all that data, looking at the changing weather over long term, projecting out what that climate change may mean for the person looking for the insurance for the property here in South Florida, for instance?
1: So we we think, um, and part of our thinking around the future at Lloyd's is to make the data available so publicly available available so our view is why can't we we think we see 25 to 30 percent of the world's entire flow for commercial corporate and specialty insurance and reinsurance if we can show that data on an anonymized basis then people can really understand what exposures look like and what the real threat is for them for us it's about data and insight
0: on the data that you're talking about becoming perhaps transparent What would that allow in a marketplace? One building owner uh, to look at their next door neighbor's kind of climate risk price or one city to look at their neighboring city's climate risk price?
1: All of the above. So, you know, it would allow individuals or industries to benchmark themselves. You know, what are people typically doing in in that situation? And they'd also get a real sense of, of what the market was doing. So what covers and products and services are insurers providing and what are brokers placing? So it's quite a cultural change to do that. But we
0: think it's an important change. That's Lloyd's of London CEO John Neal speaking with us earlier this month. Now, still to come, new risks from the sharing economy and tackling Lloyd's own Me Too scandal.
1: You know, we know it's not going to be quick but we, we, we're determined that we should be as focused around setting the tone for culture as we are on getting performance right.
0: We're back on the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget you can find podcasts of this episode and previous episodes by searching Sunshine Economy on your podcast platform. Today is our interview with Lloyd's of London CEO John Neal. Lloyd's is a massive presence in the global insurance market. It's part of the worldwide flow of money that helps insure property in Florida against hurricanes and floodwaters. As the economy has changed, so has risk. Just look at social media. Reputations can be made or ruined at the speed of a tweet or an Instagram story. Lloyd's of London wants to be on the forefront of pricing these new risks and inventing insurance policies. It is also dealing with its own reputation troubles. In March, Bloomberg Businessweek reported on what it called, quote, a deep-seated culture of sexual harassment, end quote, including sexual assault at Lloyd's. In the months that followed, the company surveyed people working for and with Lloyds finding eight percent experienced or witnessed sexual harassment. Truly terrible is how Lloyds of London CEO John Neal described the survey results at the time. Speaking with him in Miami earlier this month, he described it as holding a mirror up to the company.
1: And holding the mirror up stops the argument. So, you know, it's the old argument of people saying, we understand the story, but it's not us. You turn and say, it doesn't matter who it is. It's
0: us collectively, and so we're going to do something about it. The company set up a whistleblower hotline, banned people for life for inappropriate behavior, and turned what had been a bar in its London building into a cafe. In our interview, Neil acknowledged it will take time to change the company's environment.
1: You know, we know it's not going to be quick, but we, we, we're we determined that... We should be as focused around setting the tone for culture
0: as we are on getting performance right. Neil's response also includes setting goals for having more women in senior leadership roles. Lloyd's has been criticized for being slow to address a toxic workplace culture, just as it has been criticized for being slow to respond to modernize its insurance business. Lloyd's issued its first cyber policy in 1993, would you believe? It's one of the growing risks and opportunities Neil sees for the insurance industry. There have been high-profile consumer cyber hacks, like consumer credit rating agency Equifax in 2017, credit card company Capital One, and Marriott last year, each exposing customer information to cyber thieves.
1: People have been so preoccupied around sort of buttoning up their systems, protecting their data, that the dollars they have to spend have been around security rather than insurance. So um, it's 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 resilience of a different of a different measure.
0: Speaking with Lloyds of London CEO John Neal earlier this month while he was in Miami. Still to come on our program, Debbie Bailey's story of money and the price of life in South Florida. It is
2: her financial statement. My husband was he was he was very reluctant in me doing my own business because he's out there hustling. He said he wants to study income. He said six months and if you don't turn around, you got to go back out there because we can't live like this. So I worked harder because I didn't want that stress of him telling me to go back out there.
0: Hear her story still to come.